Those who think they know how the universe could have been had they created it, without pain, without sorrow, without time, without death, are unfit for illumination. I don't know about you, but I want to be fit for illumination. <laughs> so if you really want to help this world, what you will have to teach is how to live in it. And that no one can do who has not themselves learned how to live in the joyful sorrow and sorrowful joy of the knowledge of life as it is. We so want life to be without pain, without fear, without grief, without anger, without sorrow. But that's not how it was set up. And that's not the karma that we've been creating. So what we are asked to do as students and practitioners is to find a way to live with this raw, pure heart that we have as human beings. To find a way to face everything. The anger, the rage, the passion, the lust, the beauty, the love, the kindness, the sorrow, the joy, the praise, the blame, the gain, the loss. To find a way to live in the midst of all of this with dignity, with integrity, and with balance. And what does that mean for us? It means for us that we are always, always exquisitely aware of what is true, internally and externally. And that there is nothing, there's, there's no one and nothing that tells us how to feel other than our humanity. Having been born as human beings, we have a long history that we have carried into this life. And we're born into a long history that has its own momentum. But we say that as practitioners that we don't want suffering and we want freedom. And we go even further to say we don't want that just for ourselves but we want that for every single being because we understand that until every single being is free, we are not free. Every being, without exception, not you, 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 and you, but not you. 
every being. And if we understand that, then we understand that we carry that responsibility. It's not just our rights as human beings to have that, but it's also, it carries with it responsibility. And so if we're living in a culture where this can happen, or in a world where this can happen, because we know that, you know, this, this happens in other countries, you know, different history, different, uh, different uh, story, backstory. But this is our country and this is our story. And this, these killings did not happen because these were individual cops with, who had evil hearts. It happened because it's a large system where it couldn't help but happen. And it couldn't help but happen because of what of the, the, the causes and conditions that we've all set down, all of us together, that we've all set down together. But we're not here to talk about sociology. We're really here to talk about our own hearts and how we work with whatever is arising. The pain, the grief, the sorrow, the anger, the rage. And to really pay attention to what is truly happening in your own mind and heart. Is it shame? Is it grief? Is it rage? Is it sorrow? Is it a combination of all of that? Is it fear and anxiety because if you're a mother of a black child, a black boy especially, but it's not just that we have been talking about boys, we've also been talking about girls and transgendered and intergender people but if you're particularly the mother of a black son or a black boy then you know what fear is You know how it feels to send your son out into the streets to buy bread or just to meet his friends. So what are you working with? What, what does this bring up for you? Do you really know? Have you settled for just the superficial level of feeling? because it's too difficult and too hard to face the shame or the anger or the fear. And you know, anger is uh, corrosive. But what we usually do with our anger is we try to push it down, deny it, think it's not, it's not who we are as practitioners. It's, we shouldn't be angry, we think. But that's not how it is. And that's not what the heart says. 
when we face injustice or we face uh, what we think should not be. And how will you deal with it? How will you work with it? And isn't this exactly the intersection and the place where your practice deepens? It's not the place that you get rid of so you can come to freedom. It's the place through which you travel to find freedom. Whether you're white or you're black or you're Asian or you're whatever your race is, whatever your ethnicity is, whatever your culture is, whatever your country of origin is, whatever your situation is, we are all human beings together. And we all have feelings. And that's the place of our work. Not somewhere else. And perhaps for some of us, our way of working will be to work in the external world, to find ways of bridging these terrible chasms that have been uh, uh, dug through all of these centuries, starting with slavery. How do we work with what is arising? Some of us have to act in the world, to do something, to say something, to shout. But as practitioners, when we're shouting, are we shouting from anger or are we shouting from love? That's the question for us. Because there is wisdom in anger. There is absolutely no value in allowing anger to explode into uh, violence. But if we're still enough, if we're silent enough, if we're exquisitely aware enough, and we really turn to it, not try to get rid of it, but turn to it to understand it deeply and understand what's under it because the anger is usually um, propped up by whatever it is. It is, it, it is repressing, pushing down, oppressing, or trying to uh, not express, not feel. So our task is not so much to figure out how we can get back to hanging out in the absolute, right? Because that's what a lot of us want to do. We just want to be like right there in that place, right? That's like timeless, boundless, yes. No space, no time, love it, yep, that's me, <laughs> right? That's what we want to get back to. But the world is tugging at our coattails and saying, hey, look at me. This is where you live. This is your home. These are your people. 
when we're all together in this? How will we work with it? How will we understand our anger? How will we understand our rage? How will we understand our fear? How will we understand the antidotes to all of those uh, emotions that we know eat at our spirits? And we can have those emotions because we're human and we can know those emotions because we're practitioners. And we also understand deeply that it's not about getting rid of anything because the moment we start to think that we have to get rid of something, it leaks into all areas of our lives. And that getting rid of is what becomes the violence. Because we don't face the fear, or we don't face the anger, or we don't face the shame, or we don't face whatever it is, fill in the blank. That's what that's what drives us into violence. So I don't want to talk too long, I already, although I already have spoken too long. I really want you to speak to each other. And so I'd like, I know it's a really large group, and so you're going to have to speak really quietly to each other. Um, but if you could just turn to two people around you, and I want to ask you a very simple question to answer. And I'm going to give you some instructions, so don't start moving yet, <laughs> like you did before. <laughs> I want you to um, answer a very simple question, which is, how will I work? What is happening for me? What is coming up for me? And how will I work with it? And I'd like you to really emphasize how you'll work with it. You don't have to go into a long story about what's coming up for you, but enough so that your, your, your peers know what you're talking about. And then to talk about how you're going to work with it so you can learn from each other as to how each one of you is doing. And the, the usual ex, uh, instructions of listening deeply, if you're listening, allowing that person to feel the space of complete receptivity without judgment. And to allow that person to feel completely safe saying what they have to say. And if you're speaking, to speak truthfully. And if you're listening, to listen with real uh, presence in your body. And if you're speaking, to do the same, to really feel your body as you're speaking. So if you'll come together, I'm, I'm going to ask you to, when you come together, just somebody volunteer right away to speak first. And I'm going to give each of you three minutes to speak. So it's not long. And um, then we're going to come back together. And I'll ring the bell. And on this, that person who's speaking can stop. And then the second bell, the second person speaks, etc., etc. Okay.
So if you'd come back into the larger circle, you can bow to your friends. And So I hope you learned something, both in your sharing and in hearing what others had to share. And if you'd like to share that, anything with the larger group, please, you're very welcome to do so now. And uh, thank you, Gina, thank you, Insight, for having this, um, for giving us this opportunity to see how my practice, how, how, how does my practice play a part in what's going on in this whole world, right? And um, I, I, am, I grew up in the 60s, segregation, racism in Virginia, and so this is not new. It's just a different face. And I think because of social media, it is more prevalent because we have social media. But this is not something that's new. And uh, I was saying in the group that I, 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 um, my practice now is to find that ground where I'm not practicing aversion, <coughs> not avoiding the anger, and sometimes hatred, and um, not avoiding it, not, you know, but, and not clinging to, you know, the anger and the hatred and trying to find that balance where I can practice some compassion and love. Because I know that part of what you said and what I identify with is that I play a part in what's going on out here. You know, my anger, my hatred, Feeds that, feeds that machine, that mechanism that keeps this going. Mm. So, um, so my practice is to find that middle ground and not denying but not clinging to these, this energy. Mm. So thank you. Thank you. What came up for me in the conversation with my partners was that um, who decides what name gets the media attention? Because there are so many. And here in this room, you call about 70, but it's a whole lot more than that. Mm -hmm. And who are those that are still invisible, even in their death, and how that choice is made? So that was the first thing that came out, that kind of sorrow. The second piece is pretty, um, it's about equanimity. And um, that's one of my favorite practice because it's the most difficult practice for me. How do I bring balance between that love and hate and aversion and attachment? And how do I stay present to the moment? So that's the, the sort of inquiry that I sit with. And then the last thing that I just want to say it's that um, we've been visiting very deep places and places of grief and sorrow, and that all of us need to really be gentle and compassionate with ourselves and to be mindful that, you know, things will arise and that we need to seek support from those around us. Thank you. Thank you. The, one of the things that I learned, which is tragic, but also somehow helpful, is that 
we're not alone in this. This is happening all over the world. Senseless violence and not just violence of the state against civilians, but violence of civilians against one another. But also that people from all over the world are, are bringing their hearts to this problem and trying to help. Mm. Thank you. Uh, my name is Crystal. It's my first time here. Thank you so much for uh, the space and, and the opportunity to share. I have a question. Uh, what came up for me in, in discussion with, discussing with my partners, um, which I think is familiar for a lot of people here, is just not simply the anger um, and feeling overwhelmed by it, but the layers of anger. And something uh, that was said earlier around the wisdom of nonviolence and how my understanding is what I, what I heard was that sort of wisdom does not lead one to explode in violence. I think part of the challenge when you experience oppression, particularly multiple forms of oppression, is that nonviolence is not a protection. And so I have anger around that. That is your very presence <clears throat> as a person of color, as a woman, uh, as a queer person, or as all these things. Um, either speaking truth to power nonviolently or simply breathing in the world is already experienced as violence by people who are in an in a oppressive relationship with you. And so then there's the anger that comes from when you are nonviolent, but when you're nonetheless <clears throat> either physically shot down and killed in the streets or emotionally or socially um, uh, exposed to violence. Um, so I struggle with all of that. I struggle with the layers of reaction, uh, not just to injustice, but then to the daily experience of, you know, people call them microaggressions, but, but the very fact that my nonviolence is no protection. Um. Well, I think if you start with the, um, the thesis that nonviolence is a protection, then there's no place to go. I think Martin Luther King called it a descending spiral. So, you know, we can't be responsible for other people's hearts or actions but we can be responsible for our own. And to not rest in any uh, thesis about what's real, but really to rest in one's experience of what's real and what's true. So you're still here, right? <coughs> so something's working. And what is that? And what works for you? And what do we want to pass on to our children? And what kind of world do we want to live in? Do we want to live in the world where we're stripped bare of any uh, of the protection that love offers us. And can we imagine what that world would be like? 
these are just questions. I'm not making any um, absolute statements. But those would be my questions for you and for me. What kind of world do we want to live in? And what, is our, what choice do we have, really, for our, for our own integrity and the karma that we want to create and the world that we want to create? Because we are creators of the world, not only through our actions, but through our words and our thoughts. And so to really be very careful about uh, what thoughts you decide to hold and which ones you decide to let go. And, you know, if we live in a world of fear, then the world looks awfully threatening. If we live in a world of love in our hearts, then the world can look lovely even though there may be violence in it. That's why I read what Joseph Campbell had to say. It's complex, you know, we can't reduce it to a few aphorisms, right? But we can be careful about how we see our choices. And sometimes, you know, they're not a whole, it's not a whole banquet of <coughs> lovely choices. Sometimes it's a banquet of really unlovely choices. And yet our responsibility is to choose the one that's most lovely, even among the ones that are unlovely. We still have to do what we have to do. But what kind of heart do we do it with? Seb? Um, I just want to thank you, Gina, for your words of wisdom. Um, I think it was really helpful for me tonight. Um, I think I was, when all these incidents happened, I think I kind of went into a shell and basically became very judgmental. I divided the world into people who were in the light and people who were in the dark. So there was something that you said today about us being a co-creator in this world that kind of struck a chord. And... Um, and I think it really just helped me to make a decision to continue to choose to love regardless of whatever else is going on around me because really it's our job to do that um, and to spread love and light. So I think this gave me some fuel to do that because <laughs> I felt like I was running on empty. Mm. So mm. I just wanted to thank you. You're welcome. I am... Uh, I I had no idea what well, you, know. <laughs> <laughs> you were getting yourself. Well, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I'm I'm pleased to be here and uh, very moved by the Joseph Campbell quote. And um, I just want to say I I'm very active with uh, New York City Youth Offender Program and a couple of programs over the last number of years as a volunteer, not not as a full-time, but quite, quite intensively active. So, uh, quite intensively active with uh, youth offender programs. So um, there are opportunities. Uh, 
And I was sharing, you know, when I was in college, I wanted to save the world, and then I reduced it to New York City, and then I reduced it to <laughs> some specific activity. And uh, however, today I was uh, sitting in my studio and taking a break from sculpting and uh, eating my lunch and reading on the news that a hundred children were killed in Pakistan. And uh, I, can't, I can't get my mind around that. Um, and except to my loving kindness practice and my actions and what I can do within the scope of what I have. But I, I'm uh, set back mm -hmm. by these extraordinary events that cannot be rationalized at any level, religion, whatever, you know, insanity, you know, mm -hmm. at any level. Thanks. I think we just have time for one more. We're almost at the end. Well, when we were talking in, in my group, um, one of the things that I, I said that, you know, I always, you know, think is strange is that um, when we talk about these things, one of the ways I think we can really deal with it is to, like, call it for what it is. And I think sometimes we like to put sugar on things, honey, syrup, strawberries. <laughs> and it's just not, we have to call it for what it is. It's, it is what it is, you know. And I think, I was at a, a Facing Race conference in Dallas uh, in November. And one of the panels, we talked about the media and how we can advance the anti-racism, you know, discourse when we're in the media talking about these issues and, and, and one of the panelists were all pretty much in agreement that it's, it's kind of dangerous territory to just say the word racism. That it's better to use bias because if you use bias, people will, you know, will not counterattack you as much and people will listen to you. Why can't we just say racism? That's what we're talking about. Um, and, and I think it just, you know, by, by not saying the words and not putting it out there for what it is, it allows people to, like, just hide from it. And I think a lot of, you know, and, it, and when you don't say it, you know, what are we talking about? And people, you know, I, I think that, you know, just have to get beyond that. It's, it sounds harsh and it's raw, but that's what we're talking about. And, you know, and I think that, you know, the feel the need to have to have it sugarcoated in some way, we're not going to ever make progress because we're not ever going to be in the same place of talking about the same thing. So, you know, that's what frustrates me a lot when I hear these discussions. It's like, you know, sometimes when I speak or when I, you know, I, I find it with people of color when we speak that it's sort of like, oh, no, you're being too harsh or you're being too aggressive about this issue. And it's just, but this is what it is. So let's deal with it. Let's put it on the table, as you know, and let's deal with it. And I, that's just one way. And um, but it's difficult to just do that. It's really a, a challenge. So that's just my thought. So what's beautiful? What's really beautiful is that everybody has their way, right? And so, and and. It's all necessary. It's all necessary because we're all complex beings. So it's not as if one approach is going to reach every single person, right? And you have to decide what's right for you. 
and for others it may not be and that's okay and be unashamed in what is what what feels right for you and make sure it's aligned with your integrity and your principles and how you've decided you want to live right so we have in in our buddhist practice we have five abstentions that we live by to not take what's not offered to not harm another being to not speak harshly to not harm people through my sexuality or to take uh, intoxicants that cloud the mind and lead to harmful actions so we have those as a as our guidelines for how we're going to behave and then we have lots of other choices about what we're going to say and how we're going to say it and what is effective and what is not effective and for each of us it's not a one size fits all it's however many sizes there are in the room that's what fits so i thank you for saying what you said and at the same time to allow everyone's journey to be what it is so i'm going to close with um Naomi Shihab Nye's poem called Kindness in Guatemala. Naomi Shihab Nye is a Palestinian poet who writes absolutely beautiful poetry and it's four minutes after nine and I apologize for going over so if anyone needs to leave that's fine. Before you know what kindness really is you must lose things feel the future dissolve in a moment like salt in a weak broth what you held in your hand when you counted and carefully saved all this must go so you know how desolate the landscape can be between the regions of kindness how you ride and ride thinking the bus will never stop the passengers eating maize and chicken will stare out the window forever before you learn the tender gravity of kindness you must travel where the mayan indian in a white poncho is dead by the side of the road you must see how this could be you how he too was someone who journeyed through the night with plans and how the same simple breath kept him alive as you you must see how this could be you how he too was someone who journeyed through the night with plans and how the same simple breath kept him alive as you before you know kindness is the deepest thing inside you must know sorrow as the other deepest thing you must wake up with it with sorrow and speak it till your voice catches the thread of all sorrows 
and you see the size of the clock. Then it is only kindness that makes sense anymore. Only kindness that ties your shoes, sends you out into the day to mail letters and purchase bread. Only kindness that raises its head to the world to say, it is I you have been looking for, and then goes with you everywhere like a shadow or your best friend. This time of tenderness calls for deep collective action grounded in wisdom and compassion. And you must decide what, you, what part you will play and be satisfied with that. So we end the evening by dedicating the merit of the practice, all the goodness, the whole field of goodness that has been created here. And I'm deeply grateful and appreciative for your presence here because it has created a large field of goodness that we can take out into the world. And so we dedicate that goodness to the benefit, the welfare, the happiness, the well-being, and the complete freedom of all beings everywhere without exception. May each and every one of us be safe from harm, be happy and peaceful, be healthy and strong of body, mind, heart, and spirit. And may we all live in complete freedom from suffering, freedom from the bondage of our own glaciers, our own difficult traits, our own difficult mental qualities. May we be free from them. And may what goes before us in the world spread light and love kindness wisdom and compassion may you all be very safe and be very 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 well thank you good night Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.